0: If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, what caused you to believe? What caused you to believe? Was there some piece of evidence? Was there some piece of evidence about who Jesus really is that moved you beyond being a skeptic to a full-blown believer in Jesus Christ? Or maybe you're still searching for that evidence. Not to worry. The New Testament is full of people just like you, Who even had encounters with Jesus and had difficulty believing. And we're going to look at some of those people as we go through the Advent and Christmas season. Hoping that as we look at their stories, that we might just provide that that last little piece of evidence that you've been looking for. To become a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. John's gospel begins in John chapter 1 and verse 14 where John writes, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the Word that became flesh. The reality, though, is that not everyone in John's gospel who saw really understood who Jesus really was. And when the Word became flesh and when He made His dwelling uh, among us, not everybody perceived His glory. The we doesn't refer to everybody who laid eyes on Jesus, but rather it refers to those who believed in the Son of God. John, in his epistle, Uh, first epistle, 1 John 1 and verse 1, writes this. It's similar to what he wrote in his gospel. He says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. But then again, not everyone who heard or saw or, or even touched Jesus believed in who he was and accepted the gift that he offered. Jesus was known then and, of course, is known now uh, for miracles. He healed the sick. He caused the blind to see. He made the lame to walk, he even raised the dead. But, but not everybody who actually saw that believed in who he really was. Because a lot of people followed Jesus simply because they wanted the next miracle to happen to them. They had no interest at all in who Jesus really was or what his mission was or the salvation that he would offer. What they were interested in is just what Jesus could do for them. The gospel writers use three different Greek words when they refer to the miracles of Jesus. One word means power. And what it emphasizes is the power of God that is behind the miracle. Some gospel writers use the term wonder. In other words, it's the effect that's produced on those who witness the miracles. They witness the miracles and there's a sense of wonder about it. But John uses one that's a little different. John prefers to call miracles signs. Signs emphasize the significance of a particular miracle. And John really likes this word because, and this is the key point here, is that a sign is something that points beyond itself to something that's greater. You see, John wants so much for us to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. John wants us to believe that he is the Son of God. John wants us to believe that he is the way and the truth and the life. So John refers to these miracles and other acts of Jesus as signs. In other words, he wants people to look beyond what Jesus did to see the significance of them. And that they too might believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. They point people to places where they can believe that Jesus is who he says that he is and in him to find salvation. Uh, Eight times in John's gospel, he refers to signs. Although Jesus performed over 30 miracles, John really narrows it down to eight different things that Jesus did that really point to the sign that he is, or is a sign that points to the fact that he really is the savior of the world. We're not going to look at all of them, but we're going to look at one of them today, and it's found in John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, Jesus and the disciples and Jesus' mother are at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And while they're at this wedding, during the feast, they run out of wine. Well, Jesus' mother finds out about it. So she tells Jesus that they've run out of wine. And here's the response in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. have had too much to drink but you have saved the best till now and then look at John's commentary on that incident in verse 11 where he says what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him And his disciples believed in him. His disciples, people who were following him around, people who had heard his message, people who had had interaction with Jesus. And here it says, this is where they believed. So up until this point, had they just been kind of closet skeptics? You know, they followed Jesus. They, they understood that he was different, but, but they couldn't just bring themselves quite to believe in who he was until this sign happens. And this sign points them. This is the last piece of evidence that they, they, they need to believe that Jesus is really who he says he is. Some people have followed Jesus in the sense that they know who Jesus is. They, they come to church every Sunday. They hear about Jesus. They've read about Jesus. They believe that Jesus is different, uh, that he's not just a man. But they can't quite bring themselves to believe. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been around Jesus all your life. But, but you just haven't brought yourself to believe. And guess what? If that's you, it's okay. It really is. Because that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about these signs that, that point, And hopefully, hopefully, one of these signs will point you to where you need to go. What you need to see with the eyes of your heart to cause you to believe. You see, John... And the other disciples were with Jesus. They had witnessed all this stuff. John writes that we saw it, we touched it. Everything about Jesus. We were there. Yet John confesses that the disciples had to have a sign to, to, to really push them to the point of belief. And so John realizes, look, if we had trouble and we were there, John realizes that those of us 2,000 years later may need a real good sign from Jesus as well to point us to who he really is. So, what's the evidence that comes from this story? What's the sign all about? Well, John says that that here Jesus revealed his glory. And, And indeed, through this miracle, Jesus does reveal his glory. But he reveals it in an intimate way, not in a a grand way. And you might say, well, what do you mean not in a grand way? He turned water into wine. That's a pretty grand thing. Yes, it is. He turned water into wine, but not everybody knew about it. The, The guests didn't know about it. In fact, they didn't probably even realize that the wine had run out. The host, he didn't realize it. He didn't know that Jesus had done it. The bride and groom didn't know that Jesus had done it. Why? If if Jesus is going to reveal his glory, why not not to everyone here? Well, maybe it's because this story really isn't about them. It's not about the the master and the bride and the groom and and all of these other people in the story. It's It's not really about them. They provided the occasion. They provided the dilemma for Jesus to show his glory. But just his mom, the disciples, and a few of the servants really are witness to this miracle. Jesus is not even recognized and congratulated publicly. In fact, the groom gets the glory for having this great wine at the end of the banquet. And by the time we get to verse 11, though, really, the other players have just kind of faded into the background. This is a very intimate story in the middle of a big event. And what I think Jesus is trying to to, to show here for us is sometimes we get caught up in, in the big picture. This is a big event, a lot of things going on. But Jesus narrows it down to just a few people. He tailors it to a few people to make his point. For those of us who have difficulty believing, the Bible is a big book. And if you just, just open the Bible and, and you look at the Old Testament and you start reading through it. And then you get to the New Testament and, and you start looking through it. And sometimes you wonder, well, where, where, where do I begin? Where do I begin? This is, it's overwhelming sometimes. When we look at everything there is to look at about faith. When we look at everything there is to look at about Jesus. It can be overwhelming for us at times. And so what happens is we, we, we have trouble believing because we just can't comprehend it all. But Jesus is saying to us, it's like, look, look, look over here. Look over here. In this big wedding banquet with a lot of people, he narrows it down and he narrows it down till it comes down to a sign for the disciples to believe. And I really believe that Jesus does that for us in our lives. If we look for the signs that he gives us, not get overwhelmed by the enormity of everything that's there. So what's the sign that Jesus is pointing to today for you? What's the sign that John is writing about? It's this. He's pointing us to the transforming power of Jesus. That's what this story is about. When you peel off all the different details and everything, it comes down to the transforming power Of Jesus Christ. The key point in all of this. Is that Jesus transforms the ordinary. Into the extraordinary. Jesus took ordinary jars of water. Used for washing. For ceremonial cleaning. Ordinary water. From ordinary jars. And he turned it in. And transformed it to. The most extraordinary wine. That anyone had ever tasted. So, what's ordinary when it comes to life? If Jesus is gonna transform the ordinary, what is ordinary? Well, ordinary can mean customary or usual. The idea that, that you have an ordinary routine in your life. What is an ordinary day for you? What do you do during an ordinary day? Good or bad, everyone has an ordinary, something that is usual for them, a routine that they go through. But ordinary can also mean below average or mediocre. If it's ordinary, it's not really living up to its potential. Ordinary can also mean plain or of no particular interest in the sense that when we look at our lives, sometimes we get the feeling that really our lives have no value. They're just ordinary. The point is, it doesn't matter what your ordinary is. It's what's ordinary for you. Your ordinary habits, everybody has habits, good and bad. But what's ordinary for you? What about the struggles you go through? Everybody has struggles. But what's ordinary for you? What's your day like? What's ordinary? What are your relationships like? What's ordinary? Good or bad? What's ordinary for you? But here's the question. Are you satisfied with your ordinary? Is your ordinary as good as you ever want it to be? Is your ordinary the best that you could ever hope for? This story shows us that it's not. That your ordinary can be transformed into something extraordinary through the power of Jesus Christ. Your mundane, boring, ordinary self can be transformed into a life that is abundant and joyful. Your ordinary troubles and sorrows... And habits and all of those things can be transformed into a new way of living through the power of Jesus Christ. Are you satisfied with your ordinary? Here's what uh, Paul writes about the ordinary life and how Jesus can transform it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared. The new way of living has come into existence. That old ordinary water in the jars has been transformed into the most extraordinary wine that anyone had ever tasted. Jesus can take an old creation and make it disappear and in its place put a new creation. This passage literally means the old things did pass away. And although the English is really odd, literally it means become new, have all things. The old things did pass away and become new, have all things. The idea is not that the believer, the person who comes to Christ, ought to be a new creation. It means that he is or she is. It's not that the believer ought to be, ought to live like they're a new creation. But rather it means that he or she will, in fact, live that way. Because believers in Christ are not reformed, they're not rehabilitated, they are not re-educated. Rather, they are recreated, totally recreated. It's not turning over a new leaf. But it's giving your life over to a new ruler inside of you. The old life is demolished and replaced. I love this story. There was a man who had an old warehouse, and it was in a bad part of town. And it had been empty for a long time. And because of neglect, the the roof leaked. Uh, Vandals had broken out all the windows and had spray-painted stuff all over the building you know inside there was a lot of trash and drug dealers had used this particular building to do deals so finally somebody was interested in buying it so the owner is taking this prospective buyer through this old warehouse. And as they go through, he's apologizing for the trash. He's apologizing for the leaky roof. And he's apologizing for the broken windows. And he's apologizing for all the graffiti. And he keeps reassuring this new buyer. He says, look, before you buy it, I promise you, I'll fix the roof. I'll put in new windows. I'll get rid of all the trash. I'll, I'll do all of these things, these renovations that need done. And the prospective buyer Smiles and says forget about the repairs forget about the trash he says because when I, when I buy this place I'm going to build something completely different he says I don't want the building I just want the site and that's what it is with Jesus when Jesus comes into our lives he's not interested in repairing our building he's interested in making us completely new He's interested in the sight. If we give our sight, S-I-T-E, to him. If we give ourselves to him, he is in the business of taking whatever our ordinary is and making it it into something extraordinary. We don't have to clean it up first. Because he's going to take it, tear it down, and build something completely new. For that to happen, we have to first admit that it needs done. We also have to believe that Jesus is the one who can make it happen. And then we have to give ourselves completely over to him to accomplish it. What keeps us ordinary? What keeps us ordinary? You you might say, well, you know, I'm not satisfied with my ordinary. I'm really not. But nothing changes. I want it to change, but nothing changes. I'm not satisfied with my ordinary. What keeps us ordinary is sin. The reason sin keeps us ordinary is because that's us. That's who we are. We are sinners. We are separated from God, from a holy God, by our sin. That's ordinary. That keeps us ordinary. Nobody likes to admit that they're a sinner. But the Bible tells us that we're all sinners and that we're all separated from a holy God. Sin stands in the way of our becoming new. Now, unless we deal with a sin issue, our ordinary is never, ever going to change. But here's the thing. We can't deal with it. We can't. There, There is nothing we can do of ourselves to make ourselves right with God. God is holy. We are sinners by nature. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, our absolute best is not good enough to make us right. Though we try over and over and over and over to earn God's favor, there's no way to do it. So if we're going to deal with a sin issue that's keeping us ordinary, then we need someone to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Christ, the sinless Son of God, came to earth and He died in our place. He died for our sins. He paid for our sin. And He gave His life so that there was a way for us To be made right with God. And when we confess our sins. When we accept the gift that he offers. When we embrace Christ. Our lives become anything but ordinary. They become extraordinary. Because Christ makes them new. Totally new. So. Are you tired of your ordinary? You're just tired of it. If you are, it's time to stop trying to fix it yourself. You can't. You can't. So you might as well stop trying. But there's someone who can. Someone who can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And that's Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. By our own efforts, we can never be good enough. No amount of change that we can do in ourselves will ever make us right. No amount of education or knowledge about who Jesus is will ever change anything. Only when we give ourselves over to him by confessing our sins and giving our life to him. Can anything change? Because if you're looking for something other than your ordinary, if you're looking for an extraordinary life, then you need a change of heart, and you need forgiveness of sin, and you need a new life, and only Jesus can do that. You can't do it yourself. So this Christmas season, why not trust Jesus and give up your ordinary that you've wanted to give up for so long. Jesus took ordinary water from stone jars and turned them into the most extraordinary wine that anyone had ever tasted. And in the same way, He can take your ordinary life, whatever your ordinary is, and He can transform it into something beyond your imagination. So, will you allow him to do that in your life today? Are you tired of your ordinary? Let him do something extraordinary in your life today. Let's pray.